I am cancelling the rest of the HS2 project. And in its place, and in its place, we will reinvest every single penny, 36 billion pounds in hundreds of new transport projects in the North and the Midlands across the country. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Molly Simpson, and joining us from Sheffield, our data and policy reporter, Daniel Timms. Daniel, how's it going? All right, thank you, Molly. All right, I was feeling a bit depressed over the weekend, as you may have picked up from my long read, but it's nice and sunny now, so uh, I'm feeling good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. There's a bit of change in the air. Yoshi's on holiday in Texas this week, so it's feeling a little bit quiet oh. in the newsroom. He's but abandoned us, yeah. He has left. He has left us. But we had a busy week last week. Daniel, you've been beavering away with this excellent long read about Rishi Sunak's decision to scrap HS2 and where that leaves Manchester now. So we'll get in, into that in a minute. But first, we have a sponsor to thank. Huge thanks to our sponsor for this week's podcast episode. This is the Great Northern Craft Fair. It's a contemporary craft fair in Victoria Baths, back now for its 16th year. And it's a great way to shop sustainably, uh, support some of the best independent makers and designers at the same time. And it's happening next weekend. That's the Thursday, the 19th to Sunday, the 22nd of October you can expect to see some beautiful handmade pieces from the most talented ceramicists, jewellers, textiles and glass artists, printmakers, sculptors, blacksmiths and silversmiths in the land, not to mention furniture and lighting designers. It's got a bit of everything. And as well as browsing craft on sale and meeting the makers, there's some exhibitions, there'll be craft demos going on if you want to get involved and try and make your own designs as well, plus some free drop-in workshops for listeners to the mill podcast you can get two tickets the price of one by following a special link that we'll put in the description of this episode so thanks so much again to the great northern craft fair for supporting us and if any of our listeners would like to sponsor one of our podcast episodes in the future please do hit us up on editor at manchestermill.co.uk Okay, so last week there was a big story about Manchester in the national press. It was the annual Conservative Party conference in Manchester Central. And last Monday, while the Conservatives were still in Manchester, with incredible timing, uh, Rishi Sunak made the final decision to scrap the Manchester leg of HS2. So we're going to hear a clip of Andy Burnham reacting to that bombshell news now. For it to be decided in the way that it is being decided in those hotel rooms, quite frankly, is a disgraceful way to treat this part of the world. Do not pull the plug on the north of England. Do not treat people here as second-class citizens when it comes to transport, because if you do do those things, people here will never forget. So, Daniel, you've been following this story for a while now, and you wrote an excellent long read about the significance of Manchester of abandoning HS2 over last week. This story has a really big impact on our readers, still getting a lot of comments about it today. So let's dive in. How much of a big deal is this for Manchester? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Obviously, I spoke to quite a few people about this. And one thing I was hearing for a lot of Northern leaders, in a way, HS2 wasn't their dream project. Many of them were more excited about the possibility of sort of high speed east west rail line collecting Manchester and Liverpool and Sheffield and Leeds. But Nonetheless, it was sort of the thing that was on the table. It was the thing that was being offered uh, to the North. It was kind of a once-in-a-generation investment-type opportunity. 
And I suppose, you know, there are a couple of ways in which it was going to be quite significant for Manchester. So one is Hasty on the West Coast main line. That's the line that takes you from Manchester down to London. It's severely overburdened. HS2 would have helped with that. There were also some hopes among local politicians that HS2 might be the thing that would get them eventually an underground station in Manchester and the line going through Manchester. I, I don't think that was ever really in the government's mind, but that's another thing, another possibility that's probably been lost as a result of this decision. Mm. I'm noticing we're talking in the past tense here. <laughs> Is there any oh, yes. hope for HS2 surviving beyond Birmingham or have we already... Um, mourned that yeah I mean, an incredibly oh, slim one <laughs> yeah i think incredibly slim so andy street who's the mayor of the west midlands has been trying to talk up the possibility of getting a load of business investment in uh to fund it if the government's not willing to it sounds kind of good in theory but it raises more questions than it answers really i mean who would own the infrastructure if it was funded for businesses how would they get their investment back it's not how we do things in this country so i think it'd be very hard for that to work i do think probably in the very, very long term, we will think that we need high-speed rail of a form connected to our main city. So maybe something like it will come back, but we shouldn't expect to see that for decades to come, I would expect. Okay, so let's talk about the present situation then. So what's the situation on Manchester's other rail lines at the moment? You've been taking a, a bit of an in-depth look at this. Yeah, and I mean, Sunak's whole strategy has been to try to deflect away from HS2 by pointing to lots of other local investments that they're proposing to make. And the argument, which will resonate with lots of people, is that, you know, we shouldn't spend tens and tens of billions of pounds on a high speed line when we have so many other problems uh, with our transport in the north. And there's a lot to be said for that view. Certainly within Manchester, local trains are very bad. I mean, I think they go through periods of being in the news, that new timetable a couple of years ago that completely screwed everything up. Obviously, when we have big industrial action, that often makes the news as well. But even sort of baseline normal in Manchester is really inadequate. In my piece, I looked at some of the data around delays at specific stations mm. uh, in Manchester, and particularly those along something called the Castlefield Corridor, just perform really, really badly. Mm, yeah, what is the Castlefield Corridor for, for those <laughs> listeners who haven't read your tour de force yet? Yeah, well, understandably, lots of people, eyes tend to glaze over when we sort of start talking about rail junctions, but you, you do need to understand it because mm. it's a, a big part of why trains are so bad in Manchester. So it's a, a little line. I, I did put a map in the piece. If you want to go and have a look at it, that might help. But if you're ever at Piccadilly Station and instead of going from one of the main platforms that face east, you go on that big travelator and head down to platforms 13 and 14. Mm. And then on platform 14, if you get the line heading west from there, that's the Castlefield Corridor. So it takes you to Manchester Oxford Road mm. uh, and then it takes you on to Deansgate uh, Station as well. And it's just two lines, one going in each direction. And the problem it has is that those two lines have to accommodate a huge volume of rail traffic. That's where any trains kind of going through Manchester, going east to west, uh, have to go through. It also has some freight uh, on it to Trafford Park. I think that they say uh, the latest figures I think about 12 trains go through an hour. Wow. Um, so you've got about one every three minutes, which just sort of leaves <laughs> such little room for anything to go wrong. Any little delay or problem or one train's going faster than another and overtakes it or anything like that just gets amplified hugely. Uh, and that's why your experience when you turn up at these stations is so often one of big delays on the board, big waiting times. Yeah, absolutely. I did a lot of commuting from Manchester to Liverpool mm-hmm. last year. Some mill listeners might know that I uh, spent a bit of time in Liverpool at Arsenal newspaper, The Post, and um, a lot of time standing on platform 14, you know, jostling between 
big crowds mm. of people all trying to cram onto these these trains from this tiny platform. It's chaos. So it's a very small mm. rail section of Manchester and it has an extraordinary amount of trains pushed through it every day. This really narrow little throat. How is it coping with that kind of absolute yeah i mean in one sense given how what is expected to do kind of remarkably well but obviously it can't really cope and that often leads to big delays i used to meet regularly from oxford road when i worked near there back to sheffield and i'd often just turn up a few minutes late kind of feeling completely relaxed because i just i just know that by that point in the day things would have slipped to that point and often i'd then be there for quite a bit longer i mean they have excellent staff i was going to Mm. Make a quick shout out to Mark, the platform guard, who very kindly had a chat to me whilst trying to manage the chaos and (laughs) people coming up and asking about, you know, how do I get here and why is there no train for this or that or the other? And he's just sort of, I got the sense he sort of passed through the stress and out the other side and was just sort of very serene about it all. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's not good. And and it's definitely not good in, you know, one of our nation's biggest cities, the most important economic centres that our rail is so dependent on a tiny, tiny link that can't cope with what it's being asked to do. Yeah, no, shout out Mark. We need more more people like Mark who are in the face yeah. of chaos. You should join the mill. Yeah. But yeah, that is that is the essential point here, isn't it? The key thing to remember is how much poor local transport connectivity is holding us back. So Daniel did some research into a report released by the think tank Centre for Cities This report is really highly critical of Manchester's transport systems. By way of comparison, it looks at Hamburg, looking at how easily locals can get into the city centre. So Manchester's urban area actually has a population a third bigger than Hamburg's, but 300,000 more Hamburgers than Mancunians can get to their city centre by 30 minutes of public transport. That makes the effective size of Hamburg bigger and helps the city to be more productive, getting more people to work in well-paying jobs. There is a great quote from you in your piece, Daniel, that says we can't pin all of this on the Castlefield corridor, but it is a critical issue that holds our city and economy back. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it is only one part of the transport picture. But, you know, if you want to grow the economies of cities and people often think Manchester is a very sort of economically productive place. It isn't. It lags a long way behind equivalent cities in other countries and the way to solve that is to get more people into good productive jobs not all of which but many of which are based in the city centre and at the moment we don't have a transport system that allows for that the Castlefield corridor is only one part of that you know obviously mm-hmm. one positive story in recent years is uh, the growth of Metrolink so it's, it's not all bad and then there's also the buses obviously which uh, soon I've been talking about a lot which uh, in Manchester will be well we're starting to have the process of franchising them which hopefully will lead to a more reliable service but I think without the trains you know particularly for a city that is trying to pitch itself as nationally internationally significant a place to come and do business a place to come and you know shop and enjoy the hospitality sector not having good train networks that connect to the rest of the country is, is a real problem definitely but your piece does have a more hopeful note within it as well we're not just uh, <laughs> talking well, about yeah. all doom and gloom about the state of our public transport this is about some rail that has actually been built in manchester in the last few years but daniel what's going on there well yeah i mean hope and not hope i suppose so i mean the good news there's something something did get built in manchester which i went to see uh it was completed in 2017 just a small little strip of rail called the audsall cord and it's sort of just over the river very near aviva studios you can go there and you'll see it immediately it's got this kind of very recognizable cast iron swoosh type design 
but it it's kind of actually become a bit of a symbol of what's wrong with how we do things in this country. I mean, firstly, it wasn't what was originally wanted. Originally, they wanted a um, underground line connecting Manchester, Piccadilly, and Manchester Victoria, mm. the two main stations. You know, the government, and this was back in the seventies, you know, said, "Well, that's far too expensive. We won't do that." Instead, we could build this cord. And again, it's pretty hard to see it without looking at a map, but it allows trains to go from Piccadilly to Victoria direct, whereas before they'd have to change at another station to get between them. But because it connects onto this Castlefield corridor that I was talking about before, it actually just adds lots to the congestion if trains go along it from Victoria and you know other more northern stations going through to Piccadilly. That just creates more problems. And in fact, Network Rail have recognised this and have now sort of recommended we should almost stop using this new bit of rail infrastructure, the Orsal Cord, because of those problems. God. So you've ended up in this bizarre situation where it's taken us decades and decades to get this thing sorted. We finally built it, but because we haven't done anything else, it just makes the bottleneck worse. What politicians in Manchester have been pretty clear is needed is extra trains running along that Castleville corridor, so extra crack taking us from just one line each way to two lines each way. Uh, and a platform 15 and 16 at Piccadilly Station to allow that to happen. And again, that's been promised, it's been cancelled, it's been promised, it's been cancelled. And I think that's why sort of the HS2 story feels quite sort of resonant, that it's just another example of, you know, something that's been promised and then cancelled again. Yeah, and like you acknowledge in in your piece, like HS2 wasn't without its fair share of sceptics. It was Mm. was a budget, it was was late, um, like many trains in this country are, and, you know, there are a lot of people very reasonably critical of the kind of environmental impact that that building such a project would would have. But what, what's really interesting about your piece is it it shows why this story has resonated with so many people in the North, even those who were sceptical of HS2 from the start. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, every year, for instance, IPPR North, a think tank based up in Manchester, come out with figures about how much more gets spent on transport per head in London than the North. But It feels like there's something particularly visceral about a huge, shiny, high-speed train line that was promised to come to the north, has gradually been cancelled, 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 and now we only are going to have the London to Birmingham southern section. Uh, It just, more than anything else, seems to epitomise the whole approach we have in this country uh, to building serious infrastructure. And I think just the other thing, that there's this other narrative that just our country has stopped working and we just can't really do much anymore and everything just gets <laughs> snarled up and doesn't happen. And when you see what's happened to HS2 and you know our inability to build high-speed rail compared to other European comparators who've you know cracked on and built hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, there are differences and that's a bit of a simplistic characterization, but it still just seems to speak to this situation where we can't get much done. And yeah, if a project that's been agreed on by governments for you know fifteen years or so, if even that can't happen, you know what what can we do? Definitely, there's a brilliant podcast series produced by, for Radio Four by the academic and journalist Lindsay Hanley, which I think you probably enjoy, Daniel. It's, it looks at the state of public transport outside of London, but particularly with a focus mm. on the northwest and sort of how people get around in areas like Skelmersdale, like new estates that were built sort of a forty minutes away from yeah, the city. Interesting. Yeah, interesting within a city region like Merseyside, Liverpool city region, but have a very different relationship to Liverpool city centres compared to people who are maybe like a 20 minute bus ride away. And Mm. it makes the argument that like a poor functioning public transport system is, it's not just something that's isolating and inconvenient for people, but it's a big part of why we are still struggling to meaningfully narrow the gap between the capital and London and a big part of, you know, why Mm. we sort of continue to. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, let's hope the trains are functioning a little bit better on Wednesday because that's when you're planning to come into the Manchester newsroom. Is that right? That's my plan. That's my plan. I do still enjoy getting the trains. I just uh, wish they were faster <laughs> and more reliable. Yeah. So we all, fingers crossed. Great. Well, before we leave you this week, a quick request. You might remember on our last episode of the podcast, me and Yoshi talked about our reporting on the old courts in Wigan. Uh, This is a beautiful old theatre in Wigan, town centre, that received hundreds of thousands of pounds in cultural investment from the Arts Council, the Greater Manchester Combined Authority and Wigan Council, but has somehow found itself in dire financial straits and is under investigation from the Arts Council over its spending. We are still hoping to look into this story and we're open to hearing from more sources. So please do get in touch if you have any information you'd like to pass on you can hit me up via emailing molly at manchestermill.co.uk and that's molly with an ie okay so a big month ahead for us reporting on that story thank you so much for being here this week all of that journalism including daniel's story you can find on manchestermill.co.uk that is where you go to subscribe it's seven pounds a month and each new subscriber allows us to take on even bigger stories and more ambitious investigations okay so for now thanks for being here daniel great to see you thank you yeah and we'll see you next week bye for now bye